Uh, welcome. Welcome to a priest and a rabbi. Um, to, on today's podcast, I have a very exciting and just very engaging uh, guest with us. Um, she comes straight out of London, out of the United Kingdom. She is the chief executive officer of Liberal Judaism, which can be found www.liberaljudaism.org. It is my great pleasure to have on our program this morning, Rabbi Charlie Beginsky, who will be uh, talking with us about uh, her movement, about liberal Judaism in the UK, uh, what that looks like, um, how it formed, and you know how her, how she as a rabbi really finds the comfort, the solace, uh, the 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 ability to kind of uh, unwind and, and and recharge during a very difficult, as we know, very difficult last year and a half, um, and really trying to bring that through all of her communities that she serves, um, and it is it is just with great joy that. Uh, uh, I think she just flew in via uh, Zoom Airlines UK, um, you know, a little bit different than Zoom Airlines USA, uh, but it is it is great to have her here on our program. So Rabbi Beginsky, uh, welcome. Welcome to a priest and a rabbi. Uh, it's, it's great to have you this morning. Thank you for having me. It's such delight to be with all of you today. And, you know, just for our listeners, uh, I, I'm super I'm super thrilled that Rabbi Beginsky has joined us, especially with a five hour time zone difference between uh, GMT, kind of where time started, uh, where where the world's time starts in Greenwich, um, down South London, all the way uh, here in, uh, well, uh, sunny and oppressively hot South Florida. So it is great to have her again. Uh, we welcome Rabbi Charlie Beginsky, CEO, Liberal Judaism uh, in the United Kingdom to join us on A Priest and a Rabbi. A Priest, a Rabbi, a Priest, a Rabbi, a Priest, a Rabbi! Opinions you hear from on this show do not represent WSTU, since they probably regretted over allowing the show on the air in the first place. Nor do they represent Temple Beit Hayam or St. Mary's Episcopal Church, since they also wonder what the heck they did when they called these two men to lead their respective congregations. On that note, sit back, relax, grab your Bible or Torah, and enjoy another episode of A Priest and a rabbi good morning Stuart, florida welcome um today on a priest and a rabbi uh, i am super excited for this for this program father anderson is uh he's 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 on assignment somewhere else he will join us next week um it's an exciting time for those that have followed us for I think now uh, 154 episodes have joined us for almost three years. Uh, in two weeks, we're going to hit the three-year mark. Uh, I'm, I'm real excited for this program. Uh, I know Father Anderson and I have put a lot of time and certainly a lot of uh, a lot of effort in, which has been uh, just greatly received all throughout not only Florida uh, and the United States, but certainly in, um, I, I lost count at after 61 or 62 countries, as Father Anderson will say, we're, we're, we're real big in Yemen. Um, but it is great. It is a great program today. I have a very special guest with me. She just flew in uh, via Zoom Airlines UK. 
um, and she's here at the door. Uh, and I have with me uh, a very special guest, uh, Rabbi Charlie Beginsky, um, who is the CEO of uh, Liberal Judaism in the United Kingdom in London, based in London. Um, and I'm super excited. Um, it is the first time that uh, Rabbi, Rabbi Beginsky and I have had the opportunity not only to see each other, uh, granted via technology, uh, but as I was mentioning to my kids this morning, as I was taking them to school at um, uh, some unearthly hour at 6.30 this morning, and my oldest had said to me, are you nervous, Dad? And I said, for what? And she said, well, when was the last time you saw your friend Charlie? And I said, wow, funny you should say that, because the last time I remember was walking down the pulpit at the liberal Jewish synagogue I believe the end of June of 2008, when we were ordained as rabbis. So it has been a long time. Um, and just to give a little bit of background as to who our guest is, uh, again, Rabbi Charlie Beginsky, who is the CEO and um, of, of Liberal Judaism in the United Kingdom. Uh, she is, uh, she has been very invested and very involved in uh, the Jewish youth movements, as well as organizationally. She served as the rabbi of Kingston Liberal Synagogue uh, for over 10 years. Uh, she joined Liberal Judaism's team um, uh, with four years at South Bucks Jewish Community Center. Uh, she is engaged with uh, uh, the wider community. She is invested interfaith. She has done many great programs uh, but I would assume that the greatest achievement that Rabbi Beginsky has is that she is being is the, in the same class as you as or... being in the same class as me for many years. Uh, but I would say that uh, the greatest achievement and the greatest uh, honor that she has is that she is also the very proud mother of Joshua, Eliana and Cassia. Um, welcome. Yeah, actually, I was I just found out I was pregnant with Joshua um at our uh, at our ordination so amazing amazing and now he's going to be in my mitzvah so we are um it's amazing so rabbi beginsky welcome welcome to a priest and a rabbi um i wish you you, you could have uh, the opportunity to see my counterpart uh as many would say he is a dashing uh episcopal priest uh very tall very handsome he's not here uh, so you get to deal with me, which is which is wonderful, uh, because uh, for those that that do know or don't know, um, you know, uh, uh, Rabbi Beginsky and I spent many, 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 many hours in uh, very tight corners in uh, uh, a, a very old and uh, ancient building uh, in the heart of North London, um, preparing and studying to become rabbis uh, for many years and. Uh, um, you know, I'll, that's I'll just the highlight. That's what you remember about rabbinical college. No, you know, it's it's funny you mentioned it because there is something that, um, and I don't know if you remember, but um, you know, I moved out to London in 2002, and um, after the high holidays, uh, I remember getting a phone call from a certain gentleman who had said, uh, you know, I'd, I'd love to to meet you and see what you're what you're about. Um, so I went out to this uh, uh, small, you know, town of Northwood and Penner, um, met. Uh, this gentleman, um, and he mentioned to me, he goes, huh, I got a daughter your age. Maybe you should get together and maybe form a friendship. And, um, and that, that lucky gentleman was your father, um, which, was, <laughs> which was great to spend time. And, and obviously, we, we developed a friendship and um, you know, entered rabbinical school and uh, spent those. I don't remember that at all. I remember lots of eating pizza in the uh, security hut. 
Absolutely. A um, few pints of beer at the local pub. Um, there was some studying. There was some studying in between. There was, there was, there was some studying. Uh, there was great revelry as well. But yes. um, so, so Rabbi Baginski, can you can you inform some of our our listeners, uh, both who are will be watching us online and certainly listening to us around the world? What, I mean, what is liberal Judaism um, in the United Kingdom? Uh, what is it? What does it mean? How did it form? How did it start? And were there, um, uh, you know, what was its impact and its 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 reach, uh, say worldwide? Oh wow! Um, so liberal Judaism formed. We're coming up to our hundred twentieth birthday, which is going to be in February next year. We'll be one hundred twenty years old, which feels quite a significant age. Liberal Judaism is part of the World Union for Progressive Judaism. It comes under that umbrella. But it's unique in the sense that it was a movement that was formed in the UK, that was that came out of British Jewry. Um, it didn't originally want to be a split. It split because in those days, Progressive Judaism in the UK, men and women didn't um, sit together. And this was a group of people who wanted to have services who uh, sitting together. So that really was the beginning of the split. But it was formed by who we call the the three M's, who were the three founders of uh, liberal Judaism, very much coming out of um, out of enlightenment period, out of a rational movement of uh, really wanting to move Judaism into the future, but at the same time also having a real commitment to social justice and uh, intellectual movement discussion. Um, and uh, one of those was a woman, uh, Lily Montague, who our um, home base, Montague Centre, is named after and really is very much her thinking has become part of, uh, well, all three of her thinking, Matic, Montefiore and uh, Montague became very much part of the thinking of liberal Judaism. And I often think that one of the unique things about liberal Judaism is that alongside our kind of heroes from the Torah, we have our hero heroic founders um, who whose thought and action and belief in this really pragmatic Judaism combined with a real sense of ideology and commitment to um, to wrestling with what it meant to be a modern Jew um, is um, part of our contemporary existence. We're one of two progressive movements in the UK. There's also Reform Judaism. Um, but liberal Judaism is probably in many ways much closer to Reform Judaism in the US, with Reform Judaism maybe traditionally sitting closer to Conservative Judaism in the US. Um, we're definitely the more radical of uh, the two progressive movements, as well as being smaller. We're often in areas where they're not large Jewish populations. So um, we're in places like York, for example. Some of you may have heard of York in the UK, a very medieval Jewish community where there hasn't been a Jewish community for many years until liberal Judaism came along and there was a, a community there, which gives our communities quite a distinctive flavour. Um, and uh, the UK population, a Jewish population is quite small anyway especially compared to the US. Uh, we're a smaller country, but it is still a small population. So liberal Judaism is a small part of that. But we're fairly 
active on the political stage. So you'll often hear our rabbis on um, national media stations. We were the lead, cam lead Jewish campaigners on um, same-sex marriage legislation um, and now recently on uh, Dignity and Dying, campaigning for a change in the law over Dignity and Dying. So I'd say we're also a political Judaism, but uh, our, our catchphrase or our logo or our mission is to be the home for everyone's Jewish story. So we're really the movement that like to pride ourselves on finding a place for anybody who hasn't before found a home for their Jewish story and maintaining a home for those who have always found it within oh, liberal Judaism. Oh. So, you know, um, and, and many, many from my congregation are very familiar with, uh, and I love how you brought in Lily Montague um, and her story and certainly her impact. I mean, she had also great impact over the pond on, on our end as well through her influence. You imagine here was a woman 120 years ago who was preaching in the pulpits before we had women rabbis, who was from a ultra-Orthodox background and yet moved services to a Saturday afternoon because she recognised that in the East End of London, women were not having a place to be able to pray because they had to they had to work on a on a Saturday morning. So she was really radical in her in her approach to Judaism and to women. Yeah. So um, you know, for 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 those um, who would like a little bit more information about her, um, and I share this with my congregation fairly often, uh, and if it's okay, just to indulge people with a brief quote. Uh, from Lily Montague, which I think really speaks volumes uh, as to not only liberal Judaism, but certainly progressive Judaism uh, on, on the world stage. And, and just for our listeners to be aware, when I reference progressive Judaism, it is non-political. It is a progressive movement. Uh, but, you know, and I quote Lily Montague, where she says that as accordance, as soon as in accordance with Jewish teaching, your lives have been touched by aspiration. All your windows are thrown open and the light of infinite hope enters. Then the community as a whole demands your help and you dare not say, why bother? Let us consider well in the light of religion, what are the things worth bothering about? Perhaps we shall find ourselves bothering about mere trivialities, indulging in fears which have no foundation now and will have no reality. Perhaps we are wasting our opportunities altogether and using them in a futile way. Let us pray for guidance. And as we pray, let us remember that when all the rubbish is pushed to one side, there are many things, many things that we shall bother about which concern us immensely as they concern the well-being of the community as a whole. In spite of our absurd inadequacy, in spite of all of our weaknesses, we can affect by our lives the life of humanity in its progress towards God. Um, I love, I love this quote from Lily Montague. Uh, I teach it very often because I think that it not only speaks about what are the challenges that are before us, but also to be able to put it in perspective, what is worth bothering about? I mean, we would say in a, in a, in a Jewish context, where is the shalom bayit? Where is the peace in the home? Where are the things that are worth bothering about? It's so funny that you that that's the bit that you pick up on. I think that that's always when I, with a text, it's it can meet you at different places. I really hear from that text her concern with Judaism being universal. That actually we have a universal mission as well as a 
a parochial, a kind of local. And I think that was one of the incredible things about Lily Montague mm. is her real sense that Judaism had had a had a relevant and radical place to play in in the world stage, mm. not only in our in our local stage. Absolutely. And I I think that that's that I like to think that that stayed with us as liberal Judaism. Mm -hmm. That we 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 talk even in our in our mission statements about the impact that we have on the world rather than just on our local, not that our local Jewish community isn't important, but actually it's also about the difference we can make in the world. Mm, absolutely. And, and just, and just for our listeners also be aware that uh, when Rabbi Baginski is talking about liberal Judaism in the United Kingdom, um, there is also uh, liberal Jewish communities that happen to be on uh, continental Europe as well, in, in, in France and in Germany, you know, in other many other countries um, throughout the continent as well, that it's not just solely based in the UK. It isn't. I mean, we, we there are two congregations associated specifically with us outside of um, the UK. We have a we have a lot of affinity with our European though I you know I think it's interesting to think that we are probably very much on the left if you can define progressive if there's a spectrum we we're in a different place than a lot of our um European colleagues mm. and particularly over issues of status of who is a Jew it's a it's a huge challenge in your, um everywhere but um uh, and over issues of tradition and other things, I think we're we're definitely more radical, um, more hmm. progressive. And and being 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 a daughter of the liberal movement and being so invested, um, I mean, I should say, you know, look, when I was in year one of rabbinical school, I mean, I I, I said it in the back of my mind. Uh, I said it to the rest of my colleagues. Mark my words, uh, she will be director of the liberal movement. Um, it's just a matter of time. And then, of course, you became the director of the liberal movement. Um, you know, so from growing up in this in this, um, you know, embracing and just all encompassing movement, you must have seen great changes uh, and challenges within the uh, within the liberal movement over the last 30 some odd 40 years. What, what, what were some of those changes that have occurred uh, in your mind? It's a great question, and I think probably a, a conversation for, you know, we could have more than in just you know a few minutes. Um, I think the world has changed dramatically in the last um, in, in that period of time. Our life, our lifespan, basically, um, and I think that's obviously impacted on the nature of community. Um, we can't underestimate the change that technology has made within community. Um, and also the nature of what that then means in terms of pressures on families. So I think family dynamics have massively changed. Um, and so has the nature, therefore, of volunteering, of what it means to be part of a community, of where does religion and spirituality take place, the in people's hearts, uh, you know, Judaism has for many people, and that's nothing specifically Judaism. How much, you know, no not learning about being awesome, um, but those choices have become massively um, expanded, and we've seen that particularly over COVID. I think that people have a million and one options of how to be Jewish in a way that I don't think we had necessarily growing up, um, and there are rules in many ways on people's time and their and 
more um, analytical perhaps About recording in progress so they would say oh people don't volunteer in the same way or they don't feel the same obligation to the community without necessarily asking us about how are we creating a community that people want to be obligated to hmm. and i think that change of dynamic has has really happened over the last few decades hmm. um, for good and for bad um, I think the nature of the society, so for liberalism, we, we were very radical in our approach to same-sex relationships, to mixed-faith relationship. Um, the, a, lot of the, um, uh, a lot of the Jewish world has now caught up with us, um, and in attitude to women as well, um, within more orthodox streams of Judaism. And so for all of that, um, you know, liberal Judaism has to ask itself, well, is our role to be more radical? Are there things that we can keep, or have we kind of done our job? Um, and are there or are there new challenges um, that we that that we need to work on? So I think they're the changes that I've seen. Is that really? Someone once said, a reform rabbi once said to me, "If liberal Judaism didn't uh, exist, we'd have had to invent it." In other words, in order to ensure that women were playing an equal role, in order that um same-sex couples were treated with the same level of equality um you know all of these things mixed faith is a big deal for us it's always been patrilineal descent so we've always had equilineal descent these have been big issues for us over the years that now are less big issues in the jewish community hmm. at least in the uk hmm. and 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 in in your experience is it is it because it's it's more open we're we're conversing more that in some way we're, we're, we're not, not to say pushing the envelope, but, but something of we're just more of a society that is engaging in these conversations that perhaps in the past we would be silent for them? Wow, Matt, I, I really wish that that were the truth because my experience in recent times is that conversation is becoming more and more binary. There is more and more sense both in our own communities and external you know we can look to social media i'm not saying anything so new that actually conversation is being shut down people are much more into this person's right this person's wrong and we're losing the nuance and i think that's um for me that is the role that is obligated upon us to step into so um i think that as lib i can speak particularly as liberal judaism our obligation is to show how to do that conversation well again Mm. Um, and to learn how to disagree again um, and how to disagree well and how you can have a multitude of voices while still upholding one uh, a shared value so you can share a value on how people are treated and not necessarily share the same methodology of how that happens mm-hmm. um, or at least be in the conversation and showing how to have that conversation well um, and I, I think we've lost some of that art um, and it scares me a little bit. And so I think, yes, in many ways, we're a much more progressive world and that makes our Judaism um, much fits into that much better. But I'm also really fearful of the um, of, of the world that we're living in that shuts down these conversations. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, look, in, in, in some semblance, uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm so thrilled and glad that you raised that because I think civility uh, in, in, in not only in the United States, we've lost the art of how to even um, have respect for one another and differing opinions. 
Um, as, as my wife would say, um, I mean, look, I'm the type of person I will watch every single news network um, um, with a grain of salt, uh, but I need to know what the other side's thinking uh, and to be able to engage in a conversation that says, I might, as you, as you rightfully said, I might not agree or understand, but I, I want to learn. I want to learn from you um, with in some way casting no judgment, but to be able to learn and at least communicate or speak in a manner that is conducive, that shows honor and integrity and respect of what, uh, you know, of, of somebody else. Um, well, it's Elu for Elu, right? We have this great tradition in Judaism that this and this can also be the truth. And um, there's been this desperate seeking for like one truth, of one way of seeing things that, and that's really dangerous. I mean, I love that idea. It's such a, maybe it's a, it's an idea that's wheeled out too often, but the idea that in Judaism, we have this law book and you were telling me these amazing Talmud classes that you teach, but we have this amazing law book, maybe the only law book that maintains the minority view because there might come a time when it's needed. And that idea that in disagreement, we actually find the reflection of truths in its multiplicity is amazing. Mm. And I, I think it behoves us to, um, to, to try and find a leadership that is not just about one person and one voice, but actually is about true leadership being how can we lift up the voices of, of the many, um, even when they may disagree with, with my own. Absolutely. So uh, with that, we're, we're, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, kind of delve a little bit deeper into liberal Judaism. How has liberal Judaism embraced or um, um, had the challenge with, obviously, that we're in right now uh, of COVID? How has that worked organizationally? How has liberal Judaism supported uh, her communities and congregations uh, in the United Kingdom uh, and beyond? And, and also looking at, you know, we're in the midst of Sukkot, one of our major festivals. Um, you know, how does liberal Judaism celebrate it? And more on a personal level, how do you, um, Rabbi Beginsky, the CEO of this organization, how do you find your personal space for your family, for your friends, for yourself in a time where you're leading a major movement, but at the same time also have to move uh, your own spiritual connection to Judaism, to your friends, to your family, and what does that look like? So please join us uh, in a short minute as we uh, take a, a quick commercial break. Hey everyone, it's Evan Nine, producer of A Priest and a Rabbi. Thank you for tuning in and being part of this community. We love developing new partnerships with this podcast to help further the interfaith movement. To join us, please email Father Christian at yourfavoritechristian at gmail.com. You can have an advertisement right here on this podcast, which is currently heard across the USA and in 34 other countries. Thanks for being here, and do not forget to subscribe on whichever podcast platform you're listening from. Now back to A Priest and a Rabbi. Welcome back to the award-winning Priest and a Rabbi radio show with Father Christian and Rabbi Durbin. Let's get ready for the second half of the show. Welcome back. Uh, welcome back to our program of Priest and a Rabbi. Um, I will say, uh, and, and I know Father Anderson uh, has heard this every single time we come back from commercial, uh, with Ted Newton, uh, Todd Newton, who uh, uh, gave us the... Uh, 
the 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 coming back from commercial it never gets old um although we're not an award-winning show we didn't win the award of best florida's best um podcast hopefully we will uh in the future but uh, uh always puts a smile to my face um so again welcome back we are discussing uh judaism across the pond looking at how progressive judaism uh most most notably liberal judaism how it has manifested itself in England and certainly uh, around um, uh, around the country and certainly throughout continental Europe. What um, what are the impetuses that started the, the movement? We have with us Rabbi Charlie Beginsky, the CEO um, and the director of the liberal movement, which is wonderful. Kind of talking about you know what does this look like? Uh, you know what does it mean? Um, and I know as we just took a short break, um, I had mentioned before in terms of we are in a global pandemic. Um, at least here in Florida, doesn't look like at any time soon it's ever going to go away. Uh, again, I'm not trying to be political, uh, and I'm certainly not trying to make any judgment. But, uh, you know, um, those that live here down in South Florida, we see it every day. Um, and I know it's taken, a, it's taken a huge toll on us as a congregation and certainly our communities in terms of health and safety and everything else, especially this year. I mean, if you look back to a year ago, uh, we shut down. Um, and in fact, we went everything on a, a virtual platform this year, as we just finished Yom Kippur last week, and certainly in Sukkot, that we had a hybrid model of broadcasting to our, to our community and to many others uh, 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 abroad, uh, as well as those that were in person. So, you know, Rabbi Beginsky, just to hear from you in terms of how, how has COVID affected your communities and what support has liberal Judaism given to to those communities that are in need of, you know, whether it be financial support or community involvement or advice to be able to say, we don't know what to do. And we're reaching out to our movement um, for, you know, for any, uh, you know, any, any advice that you'd be able to give. So I think in order to understand my response to this question, you have to kind of understand a little bit about um, the UK, which is, as I said at the beginning, we're small. Um, and the Jewish population here is small, and uh, we have 40 congregations, uh, Liberal Judaism has 40 congregations across the country, but they are, um, you know, they're tiny, uh, many of them. Many of them um, don't have a rabbi, or if they do, it's a sole rabbi. We have very few communities that have team rabbinates. So prior to COVID, one of the things we were really conscious of is that even though it's a small country, it's not like getting from one end of the states to the other, that if we had movement events or movement um, meetings, that often people couldn't attend from other parts of the country after work. They're not going to come from the uh, Edinburgh to, um, to London for a meeting. And therefore, they weren't part of the way that the movement operated. So we were working very hard pre-COVID to try and join up our communities to where there was communities who didn't have a rabbi partnering up with communities who did have a rabbi, where there was communities who didn't have many people in their um, religion school were able to instead to join up with somebody that did have a lot of people in their religion school or two small communities sharing those resources, creating um, shared policies, shared thinking. Also, you know, it's very lonely as sole rabbinate in a community. Um, even if there uh, is a community a few blocks down, it can be a very lonely job. And we wanted to support our rabbis as well in creating rabbinic teams, even in communities where they couldn't afford to have more than one rabbi. Mm. And so this thinking was happening pre-COVID. 
and yet it's quite hard you know we find it as people as Jews maybe particularly we find it hard to change change takes a long time and so people were kind of a little bit slow with this people wanted you know protect their own resource and um, what COVID allowed us to do was to escalate that strategy. So suddenly people had the need and wanted to. We couldn't be in a room together. So people suddenly were very happy to be on Zoom. And so we started community briefings, for example, which happened every Thursday night. Um, we thought they would just be at the beginning to help people get advice about the current situation. And yet here we are a year and a half later and uh, we've had pretty much every, except for this month of the Hagim, we've had a community briefing every Thursday. I asked people about a year ago, what do you think? Shall we cut them down, have them less, have them once a month, have less time? They were like, no, we want to carry on. It's enabled us to meet everybody. But also, I think what's more important, enabled them to meet me every week. Meet hmm. me, my team, meet our, our trustees, and to really feel like they were part of, of the direction of liberal Judaism. And slowly, suddenly what we've seen, or quickly, relatively, we've seen communities sharing services together. We've seen instead of a rabbi feeling every Shabbat they needed to lead an online service, they're going to do it with their partner in Bristol or, um, you know, in different places of the country come together. And it changes the nature of what it really means to be a movement. Mm. Um, and that means that I'm not concerned about or just concerned about my community surviving. I'm concerned about liberal Judaism surviving and thriving and working together and that sense of collaboration. So just before COVID started, we were planning for a big biennial conference. We have a conference every two years. It's a very well attended conference, but it was supposed to be in March and we were locked down um, in May and we locked down in March. So suddenly we had six weeks to take our, our conference online. It's one of the best things we've ever done. The number of people that attended, instead of there being 300 people in a hotel in, uh, you know, in one part of the country attending, we suddenly had like thousands of people from across the world attending our conference and it's grown the profile, the adaptability, the, um, the cross-pollination of ideas. It's just changed the nature of what it means to be a movement. And I think that if you'd have asked me this question a few months ago, I'd have told you we're in such a good place. We're doing great. Really, it's, you know, despite everything and despite the huge loss and the real bereavement, both of jobs and identity and loneliness, we're coming out in a good place. Hmm. But I think hybrid, which is where we're in now with the high holy days, has been really hard. Hmm. I think that reinventing once was exhausting, but uplifting. And I think reinventing for a second time is really hard. And I think our lay leaders and our clergy and our, you know, and the Jew in the pew are tired, are really, really tired. And so I think that's gonna be the challenge for us as a movement is going to be, how do we uplift them for a second time? Mm. How do we, there are a lot of people who don't wanna go back into community, into building, but there are also a lot of people who do. And how do we value those people who are, who are leaned in from at home and suddenly walked through doors of communities how do we allow them to stay apart without devaluing the people who do it is important to be in a building and touch the scroll and touch each other um and that's hard that's really hard um because we had the kind of motivation of crisis in the first and now we have this is this is I hate the expression, but this is the new normal, right? This is our reality. We're living with COVID. We're not living on the other side of it. We've not come through it. There's no like great victory party in the streets. 
we're living with this mm -hmm. and this is our reality and it's not only our reality because of covid because of a crisis it's our reality because people have discovered living like this and um for a lot of people that is a very positive way of being part um, and for other people it's very negative and so that's the challenge, mm. right? That's the challenge. Have you have you seen have you seen um, um, you know say you know a few of your uh, smaller communities that have had to pivot and go uh, virtual? I mean, I know we as a all of our communities are virtual, right? All mm -hmm. of our communities went virtual. The high holy days really has been the first time that some of them have come back in hybrid. Mm -hmm. um, no, every single one of our communities went virtual. Like mm. from the tiniest with, you know, with rabbi who'd never used Zoom before or had never streamed on Facebook before or YouTube, all of them went, all of them. Um, mm. And we were really lucky. A big, big shout out to Leo Mindel and uh, Leo's team, who was our tech guru. And from the smallest community with the least amount of equipment and experience to the largest community has just been holding our hands through this process. Wow. It was totally That's invaluable. Totally amazing. invaluable. Wow. Really a testament of community. That's great. So, you know, when we, when you, and, and you mentioned something, um, um, uh, you know, a few moments ago in terms of, you know, the whole experience, right? Uh, the whole experience that we've all undergone for a year and a half, um, you know, almost two years, uh, you know, two years come, you know, however we define it, December, January, whatever it may be here in Florida, we had our first case in March, uh, almost two years ago, right? Um, you know, rabbis, clergy, communities, we're tired, we're exhausted. I mean, it's been a long, very long process of a lot of ingenuity, a lot of pivoting, a lot of care that we try and put in. Um, how have you found, how have you found comfort and solace through this whole, you know, process? Oh, I mean, it's a really personal question, I think, because, um, it's, it's it's very easy when you haven't lost somebody and you haven't lost your job and you um, haven't been on your own to um, to to talk about what how you how you've coped because I have three kids at home and um, despite being a single parent with three kids and a full-time job actually I loved it you know for the first time I don't have childcare I've been able to be home with my kids and balance. You know, I'm very lucky as well with my children that they're very independent and they were so glad that I was here that they kind of we made it work and they made themselves work. Um, and um, you know, I have a great job and actually my job is very adaptable that I can work in the evenings and I can work around them. So a lot of things like that have been really wonderful. You know, I've discovered new ways of working and new ways of being with my kids and that has been solace. Mm. Um, on the other hand, it's also been 24 seven. There's been no let up, right? So people, well, they're at home and they're doing the same thing with their families. And so they'll call you at every time of, of the day. And I now, instead of having one congregation, have 40 and each of them, whether they've got 10 people in them or they've got 2000 are really important to me. And I really, you know, I'm making a new, um, you know, I, I want to make my own mark and our own new team's mark on liberal Judaism and take it to a new place. And so um, it's, uh, it's also part of that, you know, it's exhausting, absolutely exhausting. So I think my solace comes from, um, I, I'm a big fan of the, like, the crack is how the light gets in. 
and um, that's my focus really is that whenever it's too much or it feels like it's dark I think of you know you count your blessings in that way mm. and um, I uh, discovered exercise and see my bike in the background like finding moments of escape to myself even if it's 10 minutes um, have been really have been really important but um, really thinking about how lucky I've been has mm. been has been a big help you know, I think I think it's I, I, and, and I love what you just said too. you know, in terms of counting our blessings and seeing out of such negativity and of such challenge trying to see, you know, that 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 glimmer of light. Um, I mean, I share much the same with you. I mean, uh, I, you know, although COVID has been very challenging, both congregationally and communally and individually, you know, it has brought uh, a little bit more. I, I, I have the ability to spend a little bit more time and be more present with my kids. Um you know, it's been it's been really tough. Um, and I can only imagine for you of, you know, not only having your office at the Montague Center in the center of London, but then also working from home. So suddenly your home now becomes your office. And when your kids are there of, you know, trying to find that that sacred safe space that says, you know, work is there. My family is here and I need to unplug for my own serenity you know, so um, i remember right at the beginning of covid like right at the beginning of lockdown um and the kids had work from school to do at home and um i was at my office is downstairs in my house with three floors and i'm in the basement and i remember like they went off to, to school at like a half past eight in the morning and i went down to my office and the next thing i knew it was like nine o'clock at night and I'm like they'd put themselves to bed and it's right here. and uh, just this is that's not good like I feel guilty that I'm not at work I feel guilty that I'm not at home this is like worse than when I'd say goodbye to them at school and you know I wouldn't see them in the evening I'd go off but at least they kind of the expectation was managed um, and that that for me was a real like moment of right actually i need to shift my day around i need to work out what my boundaries are mm. and i'm lucky that i'm in a position that i can i can do that and i think that i had unlike i think a lot of mothers in jobs is that i had a great congregation when i first started i was at kingston and they allowed me to come back from maternity leave very very early as long as my deal was that i could bring the baby with me so each of my kids did a year with me rather than in childcare or something with me as I carried on being a congregational rabbi. So even down to like breastfeeding and meetings and you know, everything, they came with me and it was amazing. But it really taught me about how you have to own your own like acceptance of boundaries. And it's really hard, I think, particularly for women often who feel like they, they can't say, do you know what? I can't do this. I'm doing something with the kids that they're going to be. I was really lucky at a very formative time to be in a job that allowed me and taught me how to be able to say mm. that. And, and you know, that my I, I've learned, I guess, that my motherhood and being a mom is what makes me. It's not for everybody. Right. But for me, it makes me better at my job and mm. being happy and having time with my kids makes me better at my job. And I'm I've got to a point now and I, I have the advocacy to be able to say it. Like, I need this, right? Mm -hmm. I, I need my kids to be okay and to feel like I'm present. So that sometimes I can say to them, no, go off. I need to shut the door and, and not talk to you for a while while I work. Mm. Do you, do you, um, um, and this is a, a personal question, but do you miss it? Do you miss congregational, congregational life? Um, 
first of all, I have some because I have 40 instead of having one. They're things I miss. Like, I, I love the life, like many rabbis, you know, the life cycle events. And I, but I still get to do them. But it's different when you've got a long-term relationship with the community that you're part of. So, yeah, I miss that. There are things I don't miss as well, you know, that I think, although this job is full on, I think it's very hard for congregation or rabbis and families because you give so much to your congregation that finding the emotional capacity to be present for your family and for your friends after that is really hard. And I think it's something we don't talk about enough as rabbis. We don't say we're like, it's very hard to, 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 to be out there with that and to say, you know, I really struggle to find that. I don't have patience for my kid at the end of the day because actually I've had patience for you know, a hundred other people's children all day. Um, or I don't have time to talk to my partner because actually I've been doing marriage counseling all day and I've kind of given everything of myself. I just want to come home and, and that's hard. I think that's really, really hard. And I, I'm, although my job is full on, it's full on in a different way. And I, I, I'm not sure how much I miss having that little bit of emotional respect mm. back to myself. So we are we are uh, in the throes of a major festival like Sukkot. Um, you know what's what 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 what's Sukkot been like for you, and certainly for you know your congregations in the UK. How how has that been? How has that been for you guys? So I think Sukkot is one of the easier festivals, like hybrid, because you can be outside. It's supposed to be outside. So um, I think as opposed to Simchat Torah, like passing around a scroll in the middle of a pandemic, much harder, right? But Sukkot, it's much easier. And I think also Sukkot is, it's got this great, I like looked at this great piece of text which talked recently about um, the idea that on Sukkot, um, you, it's the season of your, of your happiness. But at the same time, like how come it's the season of happiness? Because the Israelites were in the middle of the wilderness and were having all this instability and you build the Sukkah and it's all about, you know, the fragility of life. How come you've got these two things of like happiness and fragility? But actually, I think that's exactly what we need right now. We kind of needed a festival that was saying, yeah, yeah, we're really happy that there are opportunities to be together, but actually we're also feeling really tired. And um, so I think in some ways, Sukkot is that perfect moment of bringing a management of, 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 of two things in constant friction with each mm. other. Um, and that people have been able to actually do it in a way that felt real and authentic because they could be outside and together and in Sukkot. Yeah. Even it, and actually for once in Britain, we very rarely have good weather at Sukkot, you know, so praying for rains is somewhat ironic in the UK, but this year we've had sun. So actually people, we've had really nice weather. So actually people have been able to be together. Oh, wow. oh amazing, amazing. Um, and just if, if, if folks are interested, those that are listening to us online, uh, uh, you know, we are more than happy and uh, would love folks to join us tonight. 6.30 in our parking lot. We have a sukkah right um, right in our parking lot. We're going to do a great service at 6 o'clock tonight uh, and then some some kind of light fair food uh, and really just join in in the celebration to just come together and, you know, enjoy. I mean, we live in Florida and although it is, you know, 85, 90 degrees every single day, um, hopefully it'll be cool or getting there. Uh, and I hope you'll join us. Um, and I, I, I just am cognizant we're, we're running a little bit out of time, but I just wanted to, you know, really just pinpoint with you, Rabbi Beginsky, what, what are, in your mind, for liberal Judaism in the 21st century, what are liberal Judaism's greatest challenges 
um, in the future, in the next five, 10, 15, you know, 25 years? Wow. Um, so I think our immediate challenge is going to be how to, how, like what the nature of community is going to look like in this new age um, and how we can be a part of that. The uh, Jewish community numbers we know are dropping. So I think we've got a real challenge in terms of how, what does it mean to um, go out and bring people in? Um, it's going to be a great challenge for liberal for liberal Judaism. Um, I think one of the really exciting challenges is think is looking at how does community work in terms of collaboration. That's going to be a massive challenge to take that to the next step to look how we do a more depth partnership of congregations and maybe that will be partnering with congregations across the globe because actually we can totally do that now and I think you know doing things like this we wouldn't have done it in this way right so I think that's a huge opportunity it's a challenge but it's also a great opportunity for for liberal Judaism um, I think we've got a big challenge in terms of inclusivity so we talk a lot about what about being inclusive and being inclusive communities but I think there are lots of diff new challenges over inclusivity and we have to ask ourselves again we have to constantly reevaluate and say what does it mean to be inclusive community i think liturgically we've got a, a really exciting but also equally daunting challenge about um as a progressive movement which is that you know we've always traditionally had a siddur we're like coming to the like the traditional end of the age cycle of our siddur. We've had various kind of beginning steps of making a new siddur. But do people want a, a siddur that is in like fixed and that you hold? Um, or do they want a much more um, uh, transitory liturgy? And if you have a transitory liturgy, then does that mean that you don't have the same familiar kind of temp pegs to hold on to? Um, yeah, there are lots of challenges, huge mm. amounts of challenges, but I think it's also a really exciting time for us. I think this is our moment as liberal Jews. I think we are really um, uh, punching above our weight, we say, um, in on, on the national stage. And so we need to go and transform those people that found our communities during this time into members and into people who want to be long term part of our community. Oh, amazing. Amazing. I remember um, uh, when you and I stood on the pulpit at the liberal Jewish synagogue um, at ordination and, uh, you know, we were all given whatever it was, three to five minutes to give our own speech. And I remember speaking. Um, I'm actually really glad that I saved I saved my sermon because um, I spoke about, you know, the greatest challenges that whether it be liberal Judaism, reform Judaism, it doesn't really matter what will affect Judaism from now till, uh, you know, 25, 30, 50 years in the future. And I still believe it, you know, 13, 14 years later is relevancy and accessibility. How do we make our communities relevant? How do we make them accessible? Uh, many had no, uh, you know, I grew up in a massive congregation, uh, the largest reformed synagogue in Canada. Uh, and as a kid, I always felt that the synagogue was unapproachable. It was cold. Um, you know, met with my rabbi 10 minutes before my bar mitzvah. Don't screw up. You go on in 10 minutes. Um, you know, and it was, it was, it was there was vacancy. There was something that just didn't feel right. Um, and, you know, my approach now with my own rabbi is to make those personal relationships and say, you know, what was written in the Torah thousands of years ago has just as much import and, and influence and, and, and relevancy as it does today. It just we takes a it, dynamic speaker. We call it radical roots, relevant responses and uh, relevant roots, radical responses, right? So this <laughs> constant balance between being radical and relevant but also recognizing that this is rooted both in our judaism but also in our in our movements mm. oh, amazing amazing so um 
you know, Rabbi Baginski, just uh, as we as we have uh, just a few minutes uh, to to wrap it up in terms of, um, you know, if people wanted to learn more about liberal Judaism, if they were interested in, you know, and I love what you said, because I think it's so important today, today's te technological world and the ability, uh, look, the ability for me to bring in, a, a, you know, a friend and a colleague, um, you know, you know, it would cost me thousands of dollars to fly here uh, for an hour. Right. I can do this via Zoom. It is easy in, in, in regards to, you know, having somebody in Florida or New York or California say, hey, they've got a really interesting program. I want to be involved in it. So how do people get involved? How do they learn more about liberal Judaism? So first of all, we've got a great website, uh, liberaljudaism.org. So come and check us out. I'm on Twitter as Rab Charlie, always uh, tweeting about the stuff that liberal Judaism are, um, are up to. We have 40 congregations, all of which are streaming their stuff um, uh, on the airways on Shabbat during the week. So please, if you go onto the liberal Judaism website, sign on for our newsletter. You'll also find out what's going on in their communities and you'll find my email address and all about me on that website as well. And please be in touch. I'd love to hear from you. Awesome. Awesome. Um, and, 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 and I do encourage, look, for those that are listening to us today or listening later on the podcast, um, please take please take Rabbi Baginski's uh, advice. It is there is so much learning and the ability to, uh, you know, just inspire and engage and learn something new that maybe we haven't learned before. Um, you know, I love the fact that we're in the season now of creation. Right. Uh, and as I as I mentioned to others and certainly my own Episcopal priest, you know, who came first, man or woman? And of course, we know notably, uh, most people will say man came first and caused great sleep, took man's side, dust of the earth and fashioned woman. And then we talk about the first story of creation that says man and woman were created equal. Um, and it, it's a big eye opener for a lot of people. So, uh, you know, I do encourage if you have the time and you have the ability, liberal www.liberaljudaism.org, uh, you can go to their website, any other liberal synagogue in, uh, in Europe, find out what they're doing, sign up for some classes, um, you know, that I know that, uh, you know, liberal Judaism is doing. Uh, it is the only way to enhance and to improve and certainly to continue the conversation. So, uh, Rabbi Baginski, look, it, it, it's been great. It's been great to see you. Um, it has been a long overdue uh, uh, time. Uh, I, I, I do look forward to the time where, uh, as I mentioned, my wife the other night, um, um, you know, get me a conference in London. Uh, I will be there. Um, but it is something that, uh, look, on a, on, a, on a personal level that you and I have known each other for uh, just shy of almost 20 years, um, it has been a huge joy and just an, an immense pleasure to have you on the show and certainly learn about your position as, you know, director of the liberal movement and CEO and, you know, all the great programs and all the great stuff that you're doing. It has been, uh, it's been great. As we say in Hebrew, you're right, Moedim L'Simchat, may this be a great time of just great celebration great joy so i hope matt that you and your uh, congregation will join us for uh, our 120 years celebration in uh, february it's another expression i'd never swim this is our next 120 years so we'd really like to invite you and uh, all the listeners to come and join us in february for that absolutely i'd may swim absolutely absolutely so to all of our listeners um we thank you for joining us today i, I hope that it has been enlightening and inspiring and join us next week with Father Anderson uh, topic to be determined.